Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, today we're going to continue our look into the series of Supernatural Favor. We started it last week, and I hope that this week you've had just an incredible week as you just live in that, that we are favored of God. Amen? And that he's with us, and if he's with us, it doesn't matter who's against us, because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? So no matter what you're facing, cling to that. Last week, we talked about favor, what it is, who it's for, kind of laid the groundwork for this, and we talked about what we're supposed to do with it. One of the things that we kept coming back to is favor ain't fair. It's just not. You can try. It's just not. I can't say it like T.D. Jakes did, but that's what he said, and he said it well. Amen? Favor's just not fair. It's, it's not. No matter what we try, no matter. Listen, if, if God has given you his favor, it's going to seem easy. Doesn't mean it's not work. It's just going to seem easy. Everybody else is going to look at it and go, how did, you, how did you do that? And that's a good thing. And guess what? Each and every one of us are favored. How many of you, you've, you've told your kids this? I don't have any favorites. All of my kids are my favorite. Anybody? You know, we, we, um, we, we like to watch the show Last Man Standing. It's a Tim Allen comedy. It's, it's not on TV anymore, I don't guess. We watch it on Netflix. But in, in an episode that we just watched, I mean, just recently, um, he's talking to one of his daughters, and he says, hey, guess what? Um, you know, you're still my favorite. I mean, I don't have any favorites. She said, it's okay, Dad. I know I'm your favorite. He said, no, I don't have any favorites, but, but you're my favorite. You ever feel like that with God? I know the Bible says he's no respecter of persons. He just likes me a little bit more than you. Anybody ever felt that way? Let's just call it what it is. I think God looks down and he treats us in the same fashion. Where he says, you know what? I know, I know, there's no, but you're my favorite. And that's a good thing. God doesn't, he's no respecter of persons. We're all his favorite. He has that ability and that's that unique God-like factor to be able in that moment to say what we need to hear in that time so that we know we are his favorite. So this week, we're going to move that forward a little bit more, and we're going to look at how those whom the Lord has given his favor to challenge the circumstances in front of them. God's favor isn't so you can say, oh, look, I'm his favorite. That's good to know that, right? But there's something to do with that as well. We we don't just have that benefit to just sit on it and hang on to it. It's, we got to do something with that. And the characters that we're going to look at this morning, they didn't, they didn't just accept that there was nothing they could do about what they faced. They didn't just live with that. Uh, you may be facing what seems to be an insurmountable obstacle in your life, but guess what? With God's favor, you can overcome it. Fear may be gripping your heart because you don't know how you're going to make it through. It may be overwhelming you with the situation because it looks like there's nothing you can do, but with God's favor, you can defeat that. I figure I get a little bit more amens than that one right there. That's a good word. If you're facing fear with God's favor, you can overcome it. You can defeat it, amen? Maybe people have lied about you or falsely accused you, and yet with God's favor, you can overcome the darkest of prison walls and come out on top in the end. That's what favor helps us to do. No matter what lies in front of you, you can win. You can defeat it. You can overcome it. And that's all because of God's favor with you, in us, on us, around us. When we have God's favor, it's always there. Amen? 
So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to look at it through the lives, three particular uh, characters in the Bible of how we can challenge the circumstance. That's the goal today, is for us to realize that with God's favor, what's in front of us is not that big of a, a hill to climb. It's not that big of a, an obstacle, a big of a hurdle that you can't get past it. So that's what we're going to be looking at. So we're going to look at, again, three characters that we're going to look at. The first one is Jonathan and his armor bearer. One of my favorite stories. Um, this, this story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you want to flip there and kind of peruse as I'm telling the story, that'd be fine. Um, if you want to stick a marker in Genesis 39, that's where we're going and we're going to camp out for a little while. But in 1 Samuel 14, we see this story where, where the, the Philistines are encamped kind of around the Israelites, and their numbers are massive, huge, amazing amounts of numbers uh, of, of Philistines that are coming after the Israelites. The Israelites have about 600 men, is all the Bible accounts for. It says that some of them are still up in the hillside because they're scared. Uh, it says that some of them became traitors and went over and, and joined the Philistine army which is kind of amazing to me, but that's what they did. Uh, so, so no matter what you're facing, it's not that bad. You still have people on your side, right? Uh, the Israelites are kind of stuck in this inaction moment, but Jonathan and his armor bearer said, enough of that. And Jonathan tells his armor bearer, hey, let's go over to that, kind of that bluff, and let's see what they're doing, and let's see if the Lord won't give them to our hands. And we'll go over there, and when we get there, we'll say, if they say to us, Come up here so we can teach you a lesson, then we'll know that that's the message from God. And if they say, hey, you guys stay there, we're going to go over it, then we'll know that that's our time to leave. So they kind of put this fleece out there before the Lord. Uh, and so they, they did. They climbed down. They get down. The, the Bible says that they have to climb down this cliff, and it's a very rocky ravine. And when they're doing that, it says that the Philistines notice them and say, hey, look, the Israelites have come out of hiding in their caves. And so they start kind of uh, t hurling insults at them. And one of them is, hey, you guys come over here so we can teach you a lesson. And Jonathan said, the Lord has given them into our hands. Let's go. So he and his armor bearer, they climb up there and they get there. And the Bible says that on this half acre plot of land, they killed 20 Philistine men. We look at it and go, man, what an amazing thing. These two guys are absolutely crazy, Right? Man, who goes and attacks the enemy, the two of you, without, and the Bible makes it a point to say that they didn't tell Saul. So they didn't get the king's permission, they just went and started the fight. They just went and picked the fight with them, and they said, hey, you know what, we're going to take it to them. We're not sitting on inactivity anymore, the Lord's going to give them to us, and if he does, we're going to take it. So they go, they attack, and they win. But that's not all. See, we would look at that and go, yes, look what God's done in my life, and that's great. But that was just the beginning of what God was doing, amen? That was just the tipping point of where God was going to take them to and what God was going to do through them as they stepped out. They get up there, they begin to see an amazing miracle come to pass because what happens when we challenge the circumstances that are facing us right around us is that we put God in a place to be able to do a miracle. God's given us his favor, Right? And then when we say, God, you've given me your favor, and this obstacle is still here, but I'm going to attack it, 
We put God in a place to be able to do the miracle because we've put it in only his hands to be able to do. And that's exactly what happened. God caused the Philistines to actually turn on themselves and begin to attack one another. He caused great confusion to come on the camp and so that there would be something amazing take place. Even those who were traitors joined back to Saul. Even those who were scaredy cats and hid in the hill country, they came down and they joined the battle. And ultimately, because of the confusion that God brought on them, because Jonathan and his armor bearer attacked when they weren't supposed to, when they challenged the circumstance that was facing them, an amazing thing happened that day. They turned and killed each other as they fled. So that it says in verse number 13, so that the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord did it. The Lord saved Israel that day. So when we decide, I'm no longer going to live in fear, but instead I'm going to challenge the circumstance with the favor that God has given me, I no longer have to live in fear. And it's amazing the miracle that God can do. Because God can take whatever we're facing and turn it around so that he alone gets the glory and the credit for it. So what we've got to say is I'm not going to live in fear anymore and be willing to challenge those circumstances that are in front of us. That's what God's favor helps us to do. The second character we're going to look at is Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. Flip over to Genesis chapter 39, if you will. Um, Joseph, great story, great, great man. I love everything about him. In fact, there's a lot of Joseph's life that parallels the story of Jesus. Born, sold into slavery, he was betrayed. He was uh, sold for the price of a common slave. Jesus was born. At one point, he was betrayed. He was sold for the price of a common slave. He was used by God, brought out, brought out of, uh, a, literally, Jesus came out of a physical grave. Joseph came out of a dungeon, out of a pit, out of prison to be rescued. It's amazing what the Lord does through that. So it's a lot of similarities there. Joseph begins his entire journey with God's favor. That's a good story, right? One that we like. He found himself, though, at a young age, thrown in a pit because his father favored him. His brothers couldn't stand it. And I just want to point this out, that when God favors you and you recognize that and you're going with that, guess what's going to happen? People ain't going to like it. If people are hurling insults at you because God has favored you and he has blessed you, run with it and take that as a badge of honor. When God has favored you, don't worry about what the other haters are going to say around you. And, and nine times out of ten, it's those close to us that hurl the most uh, damaging insults. And when they throw those, mar those, those arrows at us, just realize that it is because they are jealous of God's favor on your life. So here's what happens with Joseph. He finds himself in a pit. He gets sold to the Midianites at a, at a point of strife and eventually ends up in Potiphar's house in Egypt. In Genesis 39, 2 through 5, this is what we read about Joseph's life with Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. And from that day, Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. Awesome, right? Wouldn't you love it if that's what people said about you? Man, ever since you came to work for me, look what God has done. That's God's favor. Let that be the case. Be that kind of person. Be a Joseph who, even though he was in a pit, didn't get bitter. 
chose instead to get better, chose to give it everything that he's got and honor the Lord and give the Lord every opportunity he had, including when he was falsely lied about. We remember how Potiphar's wife uh, had an eye for Joseph, and, and soon Joseph found himself in a prison for a crime that he didn't commit. That's a pretty shady place to be, right? There's nowhere any of us want to be than paying a price for something we didn't do. Now, if we did it, we own up to it, we pay the price, and we move on. But here he is in prison, and he is not to blame. In fact, in verses 20 and 21, it says, And so he took Joseph, Potiphar took Joseph, threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph, and in the prison he showed him his faithful love. And Joseph, uh, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Now, obviously, we see God set up in this. Why didn't Potiphar just put him in the common prison? Instead, he puts him in with the king's prisoners. Even in that, it's a setup. Even in that, God is taking and he is using the brokenness that's being created in Joseph's life to prepare him for the future plan that he has for him. There is nothing that comes our way that God will not use if we will give it to him. There is no point of hurt. There is no point of brokenness. There is no point of, of, of any area of our life that when we yield it to God and say, here, you can have it all. And we put every card we have on the table that God cannot take that and will not take that and use it for his glory. Here, Joseph, and man, he's, he didn't do anything wrong, but he gets thrown in prison. And even in that, God favors him and makes him a favorite. To the point that the chief baker comes, uh, remembers a time when this young Hebrew boy challenged the circumstance and through a gift from God interrupted the outcome of that situation while he was in prison. Think about it. Joseph's interpreting dreams. The baker gets to go back, but the baker forgets Joseph until the day that, you know what? I remember there was a young guy who could tell me what God was going to do. And he tells Pharaoh. When Pharaoh's having these, these terrible dreams that were prophetic, he brings in Joseph, and to the point that Joseph gets to be able to interpret those dreams for him. Now, if it were me, let's just be honest. If it were us, and we're thrown in prison for something we didn't do, what are we going to do? We're going to be tempted to have a pity party, right? There's a few honest people, and they're on this side. If, if we're thrown in prison for something we didn't do, what, what, what's our temptation going to be? We're going to have a pity party. We're going to sit down, we're going to cry about it, and we're going to feel like, you know, the Lord has forsaken me. And let's be honest, we would get to this question, Lord, why'd you do this to me? Why did you cause my misery? We get to that point. Joseph, it doesn't say he ever got to that point. It says that he was there and God favored him so that he became the favorite of the warden. God took that and made something out of it. We've got to not sit and sulk and sour in our own pity party so that we miss out on what God wants to do. We've got to not be whining and crying and wondering why God did this. We've got to be like Joseph and challenge the circumstance when he had nothing to lose and he had nothing to gain. Joseph still chose not to get bitter, but instead chose to get better. Better. Later on, he interprets a dream for the Pharaoh. What an honor. What an amazing opportunity. He interprets the dream for the Pharaoh. He, uh, and he stood before an angry and a confused man who was one word away from killing an entire group of people. That's where he was at. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of all of this stress. Yet the Bible says that in all of this mess, because see, Pharaoh was ready to get rid of all of, the, uh, all of his magic men, all of the people who were supposed to tell him, and in walks Joseph. He tells him, this is what the Lord says. And Pharaoh says, surely you've heard from God. In verse 42 of chapter 41, it says, Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand, 
placed it on Joseph's finger, and he dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And when, wherever Joseph went, the command, the, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Without your approval, Joseph, without yours. So here God took this person that he's favored throughout, took him from the, the pit with the torn coat of many colors, being sold into slavery, raises him up in Potiphar's house. He gets back into, uh, into the, the prison, raises him up out of the prison and sets him at second in command, not only to save all of Egypt, but to save all of the Jews. Every part of that part of his family that would come in, he was able to save them all because of God's favor on his life. The next verse would go on to tell us that Joseph was 30 years old when all of this happened. He was sold into slavery at about the age of 15. So for 15 years, he's riding that roller coaster up and down, getting bitter, uh, choosing to get better and not bitter, choosing to do what God wants him to do and not hang around in it. Everywhere Joseph went, he was blessed. Every time Satan tried to destroy him, God gave him favor. Guess what? The Bible still says that the devil is a liar. The Bible still says that he is looking for someone to devour. The Bible still says he has an agenda for me and for you and that he wants to take us out. But we can be like Joseph and every time he tries, we can rise up in the favor of God and put the enemy where he belongs, amen? We have that authority and that ability. Jonathan could have given in to fear. Joseph could have given in to bitterness, but they allowed instead, they, they allowed themselves instead to rise up in, in the face of their circumstances, and they challenged it. Because of God's favor, they overcame it. Now, the third set I want to look at is the family of Manasseh. Manasseh? Mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to say a whole bunch of names right here that I'm just doing my best to say them, all right? Here's the point may not be a name that we commonly use. We all know who Jonathan was for the most part. We all know who Joseph was, by, by and large. In fact, I heard somebody talking about it this morning. You know, the, there's a, a Broadway show called Joseph and the uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat. There you go. So I heard, I heard that even thrown out this morning, and I just started laughing because I was like, I'm going to talk about him. We all kind of know who these stories are. Now, this one it might be a little different. We talk about the family of Manasseh. It's a really small, narrow window that we're talking about. Have you ever felt like you may be missing out on something because your family didn't have something? Anybody ever go through that as a kid? Anybody ever feel like your kids didn't have something because they're part of your family? Anybody? Okay, sign up. The thing is, is, we can find this story in the Bible where we feel like we're missing something. Where we feel like in the middle of it, if my family would have had this, it would have turned out different for me. It's a biblical, age-old story as well. Sometimes it's easy to say, well, I don't have this or that, so my family or my life can't be the same as theirs. And that's just not true. Sometimes, let's be honest, there are things that we're missing spiritually in our lives because we've not challenged the circumstance and said, I'm not going to do without it. We've not said, I'm not going to live without this blessing that the Bible promises. Jacob did it. He said, I'm not going to let go of the Lord until you bless me. And God did. God touched him in the hip. 
walked with a limp from that day forward. He said, I'm not going to let go, which is a pattern that you and I can have where we can say, you know what, Lord, I know you're able to do this and I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to be tenacious in my prayer life and I'm not giving up until you do what you promised to do. I'm going to remind you of your word, not mine, but I'm going to remind you of your word and I'm going to ask and I'm going to ask. I'm going to be persistent in my prayer life and I'm going to say, God, do what only you're able to do. And so this is the story that we find here even in the Old Testament. We've got to not give in to that comparison game where it's easy to say, well, if my family were like theirs, I'd have that. No, 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 no. The reason a family has anything is because somebody fought a fight that others weren't willing to fight. Someone paid a price others weren't willing to pay in order to have that in their lives. You and I have to pay the price. We have to pray the price. We have to do whatever that takes. So we've got to stop that comparison game. There's a time to challenge the circumstance and petition God for what is rightfully our inheritance. So look at Numbers chapter 27. One day, a petition was presented by the daughters of Zelophad. Like I said, just roll with it. If it doesn't look like that's the way it should be pronounced, I'm the one reading, okay? By the daughters of Zelophad. Their names are Malal, Noah. I'd feel bad for her, you know? Obviously, she got a, a famous guy's name in Scripture, but that's what it is. Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. There's a whole lot of things that are jumping in my mind right now. We're going to leave them alone, okay? <laughs> Their father, Zelephahad, was a descendant, see, in this one too, of Heifer. Really? I mean, I know that's not how we might write it today, but that's sure the way it reads to me. So he's a descendant of Heifer, the son of Gilead. I'm sorry, but if you want some good comedy, just read the names in the Old Testament, okay? So here he is, a descendant of Zephyr, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Okay, here we are. Back to Joseph, right? We got, what it is, Manasseh is one of the children, one of the 12 tribes, okay? So here you've got some of their descendants coming to them, coming to Moses, and he says, listen, these women, verse two, these women stood before Moses and Eleazar the priest, the tribal leaders in the entire community at the entrance of the tabernacle. Our father died in the wilderness, they said. He was not among Korah's followers who rebelled against the Lord. He died because of his own sin, but he had no sons. Why should the name of our father disappear from his clan just because he had no sons? Give us property along with the rest of our relatives. Seems like a very logical case, right? Seems, makes sense. It had never been done before. No one had ever said I know what my family should have, and we don't have it. I'm going to ask that you get it, and you give it to us. Now, spiritually, let's fast forward this. There are things in our lives we may not have, and it may be just because we've never had the courage to come to the Lord and say, Lord, you've said all of this. I know my daddy didn't have it. I know my mama didn't have it. Because they died in their own sin. They didn't get it because they didn't ask for it. But today, I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to give me the inheritance that your scripture promises that I can have as your child. I'm today saying I want what you promised me. These ladies challenged the circumstance. And they challenged the ordinary. And look what happens. In verse 5, it says, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. Who better to bring it to? Who better? He brought their case before the Lord. By the way, that was Moses' job at the day. And the Lord replied to Moses, verse 7, it says, The claim of the daughters of Zelophad is legitimate. You must give them 
a grant of land along with their father's relatives, assign them the property that would have been given to their father, and give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a man dies and has no son, then give his inheritance to his daughters. And if he has no daughter, either transfer his inheritance to his brothers, and if he has no brother, give his inheritance to his father's brother. Because of their courage to challenge the situation, God didn't just change things for them, but he changed it for an entire generation. He changed it for the future generations. We never know when we challenge the circumstance what difference that's going to make not just in our life but in our kids' lives in our grandkids' lives all the way down the line. We have to have the guts to say I am favored of the Lord and I am going to ask for what He promised. I'm going to challenge this circumstance. I'm going to challenge this situation. I'm not going to live with what is all the time but I'm going to say Lord your word says I'm trusting you that you're going to see me through this. I'm trusting you that your favor is enough for me. I'm not going to be afraid because with God's favor, I can change the course of history. I'm not going to live drawn back. I'm not going to live in lack because somebody else didn't do it. I'm not going to do that. See, I don't have time to go through the stories of Daniel who challenged the king in order to do to do it God's way, and God delivered him from the lion's den. I don't have time to tell you all the story about Rackshack and Benny. Uh-uh. See, there you go. Not just seeing who knew. There you go. I don't have time to tell you that whole story of how God delivered them from the fiery furnace. And I don't have time to, to go into all of the implications of that or, or the story of Esther who refused to hide behind her, her privileged position and allow her entire race of people to be wiped out. I don't have time to tell you all about Peter who stood up and said that we have to do what we know is right and honor God and do what Jesus would have of us, not what you men would tell us to do. See, the Bible's full of stories about people who had God's favor. Full of them. Story after story after story of people that were favored by God and because of God's favor on their life, they changed the situation. They challenged the circumstance and saw a difference come from it. But see, the difference, the the, the thing that is the common denominator among all of them is that when they face these serious, life-threatening instances, their history-altering moments in their lives, every one of them wasn't a simple deal. Every situation was tough, and it was hard, and it was difficult. Every time God favored them, they put their life on the line. They said, I'm not going to hide behind this. I'm not sure what, what situation each of you are facing. You may look at it and go, well, I'm not being thrown into the lion's den. I'm not in a fiery furnace. But you know what? My work is pretty rough. And I do have this other issue going on over here with some family members. And I do have this or that happening. And they're serious life-threatening moments, and we need to just say, you know what, God, give me your favor and help me to live in your favor for today as I challenge what's in front of me here and now. Those circumstances are real. 
We, we look at them and sometimes we want to downplay our own life issues because it's not a lion's den, because it's not a fiery furnace that they've heated up seven times hotter so that we absolutely will die. Because we're not Esther where, where if we walk into the king's palace uninvited, into his throne room uninvited, he could kill us in the moment. We, we don't have that kind of a situation, but you know what? We're facing a very real situation where the doctor has said you're going to die, where this or that has happened and we need God's, plan, we need God's favor to overcome that. You may be facing very similar things, just not in exact same verbiage. And today, God wants to give you his favor so that you can challenge those circumstances. Don't take the easy way out by rolling over and letting just the the que-sera-sera life happen of whatever will be, will be. I'm unwilling to give in to that. Listen, from the theological standpoint of being okay with what is in my life, I can handle that that I'm not going to worry about what I don't have. I'm not going to get so consumed with it. But I'm not going to, at the same time, sit back and say, well, I'm not, I don't have what you promised, Lord, so that's must be. No, 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 no. I'm going to take what God's word says and his promises, and I'm going to stand on them, and I'm going to claim them, and I'm going to believe them, and I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray the price so that God can do what his word says it will do. Amen. So when we talk about what is, I've got to be okay with what is, that's that's a whole different animal, whole different discussion to have at a different time. We've got to not sit back and just say, okay, we've got to stand up in Jesus' name and in his authority and in his favor, and we've got to go for it. We've got to go for it. I wish there were some better way. I, I wish I could say, you know what? The Bible says you don't have to work hard to get it. The Bible says you already have it. Everything we need for life and godliness, we already have. It takes time to realize why we're missing it. And moving from that point forward is a fight. It's a fight. And it's a fight that we all have to have. And we face those fights in different ways and at different times. But when we're favored by God... How can you lose? I mean, really, how can you lose? Think about Jonathan. Jonathan said, hey, you know what? If they say, come over here, boys, we're going to teach you something, then we'll know God's given them into our hand. Guess what? Every time the devil says, I'm after you, guess what we can say? Yes, God has given us the victory. We already, we already are coming from a place of victory. We don't have to shrink back. We don't have to be destroyed. We are those who rise up and believe and are saved. Amen? So we've got to rise up. We've got to take our place and take our stance. Is the doctor giving you a bad report? Well, Isaiah 53 says, whose report will you believe? The song says, I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. Amen? What does his report say? I am healed. I am well. I have victory. I'm going to believe his report. Has the enemy said he's going to destroy you? Great. Bring it on, buddy. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Okay. You're bringing a stick to a knife fight. You're bringing a knife to a gun fight. You're bringing a single shot to a machete knife. Hey, you know what? You're going to lose. Bring it on. 
We've got to take up our place and say, I have everything I need. I have all of the weapons. I'm going to win because it's already in me. And guess what? The Bible says that Jesus will be my rear guard. His armor is impenetrable. He will be with us. He will. The shield of faith will extinguish the darts of the enemy. We've got to take our place with the weaponry we've been given. Does the doctor say that our disease is incurable? Guess what? Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed. Do you feel like you're trapped and you're surrounded with no way out? Then guess what? 2 Kings 6, 16 says, don't be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. I'm not worried about what's out there. I'm worried about what God is doing in me. If the devil keeps telling you that you're nothing, you're just a failure, he keeps beating you upside the head with every single mistake and, and, and error that you've ever made in your life, well, guess, up, guess what? Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. You have everything you need for life and for godliness. And when you feel like the devil is going to wash you away with the flood of accusation, I love what Isaiah 59, 19 says. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. You know, it's easy, to, it's easy to buy into the lie. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to buy into the lie. We all have our own case of head games, right? We all have our moments. There is a, a tailor-made issue that the devil wants to keep throwing at you. Tailor-made just for you. He has one just for me. He has my name written all over it. And there are times that he whips it out and says, here, play this reel. And it's the greatest hits, right? Have you ever felt like you've been through that? It is just a huge struggle. And you're wondering, what? God, what are you doing? Why do you let... Just because the devil has a tailor-made accusation tape ready to play at a moment's notice doesn't mean you have to keep listening. I have been washed by the blood. I have been cleansed, redeemed, made whole. I have been given everything that I need. There's nothing that I need beyond that. At the end of the day, what I need is to be reminded of whose I am. Whose I am. The greatest, and we'll discuss this in, in coming messages, but the greatest thing that I can come to at the end of the day is this very real, clear understanding in my own life that I am a child of God and that walking in his favor is the greatest thing I can possess. Walking in his grace, living in his mercy, walking in his love, that's the greatest part of this journey called life. His favor is more than enough. Man, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to grow into favor, into God's growing in God's favor. But you know what? At the end of the day, living in that is a very real understanding we can all have. Have you ever had one of those moments, one of those days where you, maybe you didn't pray like you really should have? You know, like you, you know, I'm used to praying like this. Or maybe you're just out with the Lord and you know you're just taking a walk, and all of a sudden you remember, I have not really prayed. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me a story one day. He'd had one of those days, he hadn't really uh, had much prayer time. And as he's making his, his laps, doing his walk around his neighborhood, normally he makes two laps, and that would be of 
two miles around where he lives. He made his turn, and as he started the second one, got about halfway through it, he just said, Lord, I'm sorry. His mind was consumed with other things on business and uh, some of the struggles that they're facing there. And as he made that turn, he said, Lord, I'm sorry. I've not really talked to you very much today. And the Lord just spoke to his heart and said, what are you talking about? I've heard every anxious thought. And all of a sudden, in his mind, it just played back every single thought that he had had along the way. Just like, in a way that only God can do. You know what I'm saying? God pulled out his Hollywood blockbuster uh, best list and put it up there and said, here you go. And he began to show in sign, moment after moment after moment, thought after thought, and exactly where he was at on the journey and throughout the day. And God said, I've been there the whole time. I've been with you. At the end of our day, the greatest moment that we can have is to be reminded that even in our anxious thoughts, he's with us. Listen, as we challenge the circumstances in front of us, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your struggle is, but guess what? He's with us. He's with me. Is he with you? Every day, he's with us in every moment, no matter what we face. Now, perhaps you're facing a significant issue in life and you're not sure how you're going to get through it. Let's let God give us his favor, amen? Because when we're favored, we're able to challenge them and overcome them. In just a moment, we're going to have a time where we come together and pray in agreement that God would give us his favor over our situation and have the courage to challenge it in the name of Jesus, amen? How many of you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you today would just say, you know what, pastor? That's me. I'm really facing a struggle. Did you slip up a hand? I've got an obstacle that I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Anybody? It could be a doctor's report. It could be anything. Yeah. Guess what? My hand's up. If everyone would stand right where you're at. And if that's you, you raised your hand in just a second. I'm going to ask you to be brave and get out of your seat and come down and let us agree with you in prayer. Prayer team, elders, would you get out of your seats and come down and go ahead and begin to make your way around these altars? Because here's the thing. Sometimes we need someone else to agree with us. Jonathan went at his issue with his armor bearer. The family of Manasseh, they went at it as a family. Joseph, every step of the way, there were other people, the baker, the, uh, the people that he was involved with. Man, today, if you need God to do something, if you're saying, that's me, I need God to do a miracle. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get past what I'm facing. We want to agree with you. Sometimes we can't do it alone. We want to be by your side. And so if you raised your hand, or you should, I'm going to ask you to be brave and get out of your seat. And come let us agree with you in prayer. The Bible says to call for the elders of church, have them lay hands on you, and 
prayer of a, of a righteous person avails much when we lay hands on you can bring healing and wholeness so if that's you get out of your seat make your way down come on there are many of you that raise your hand this is your chance else. Come on. Well, can we give him a hand? Sometimes it's hard. Come on. Anybody else? Anybody else? 